Welcome everyone to another episode of Weekly Games Chat. I am one of your hosts, Chris. As always, joined <laughs> by my co-host, John. <laughs> hey buddy. Uh really enjoying the uh Sean representation in uh the Twitch stream tonight. That looks dope. Yeah, yeah. What, what is going on? Were you with him? that no he did a dj event where they had like a 80s kind of you know thing party i thought it was a good one to put up up oh my god yeah uh in case you haven't figured it out if you're at home he looks looks tore out you just get me and john this week there is no sean he is off he's dealing no no, no, he's right he's right there he is right there he's dealing with uh some family stuff this week so he's out he'll be back next week well, no, he won't be back, back next week. We won't be back next week. We will. I'll go ahead and uh, save you all the worry and time now. Uh, it's next, over. Yeah, it's over. <laughs> we're, we're, no. we're, it's, it's, we're, we're one and done, my friend. Yeah. 400 is enough. <laughs> but no, uh, next Tuesday uh, is, of course, America's birthday. Freedom. It rings that day, July 4th. We don't care about none of you people over that stupid little channel on that little island trying to suppress our freedoms anymore well well, ladies and gentlemen i should tell you the reason they they went this direction i was not for it i I wanted to record Uh on our nation's birthday but they had a particular issue with me going shirtless with a american flag speedo so it's it's we've always operated two out of two out of three you know that's that's the direction we take it yeah and they voted me down. So send your hateful complaints to <laughs> weeklygameschat at gmail.com. And it's Chris's fault. I think it would have been a glorious show just because I would have been plastered in PBR. And whenever hey, you like you, Chris, how you doing? I would just been like, America! <laughs> just, <F> yeah! <laughs> just completely hammered. <laughs> Knowing full... Full well that we have to go to work the next day, right? Yeah, because <laughs> it's Tuesday. But yeah, oh, because yeah. it's America's birthday, you know, it's just one of those things. Most of us going out of town doing things this weekend. So I think a lot of us are not going to be around Monday. And by the time we get to Wednesday, it's kind of like, we'll just take the week off and come back and do it the next one. So sorry for the the recent break here that two times in the month that's kind of rare for us but you know we promise we'll be back in on the regular schedule soon uh you know but yeah sean sends his love he'll be back next week he really wanted to be here today but you know just way things work out sometimes uh that's the way it goes john have you been having a good week i didn't ask you if you had anything for the intro well i mean i don't know if we need an intro when things simply just implode two miles below the surface of the ocean <laughs> oh god we're bringing whew, yeah I, I gotta give i gotta give somebody props mm. um you know because because i I've, I've always known you know james cameron famous for a lot of things terminator titanic and i always knew that he did a lot of documentaries about the ocean depths and things like that sure but i actually i actually happened to see him on the news i think it was cnn talking Mm -hmm. to someone and i was i know he's a smart guy okay that's never and i know he has a fundamental understanding of how technology works obviously yeah but the fact that he the the fact that the way he sounded when he spoke about submersible 
vehicles mm-hmm. was impressive. It's like, no, he's actually sounding and talking like a consultant. And I really didn't know that he built his own submersible. Correct. He was able to really, and it wasn't just hyperbole. It, he was really able to articulate, at least at the time, hypothetically, what probably went wrong with OceanGate. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know, that, 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 sh- that, that thing has been, you know, fascinating the world. Yeah, for, for it was. It, you know, it was like last week. Clarissa came up to me and said, "Have you heard about this?" I'm like, "You know, I've seen headlines, uh, but I don't want to read any details because the the concept of it gives me gives me anxiety. It gives for me sure. And this was and this was back when we were still like doing countdown calculators of how much oxygen they had left and things like that. But it's just what a crazy story. Because typically speaking, I don't. I mean, I could have misheard James Cameron, but we don't lose people down there. Not no. really. No. And it's the fact that the fact that we lost some, some people down there completely un completely avoidable. Um, somebody was talking about how they, they were buying components. I don't know if they were being just glib about it, but they were buying components from Bass Pro Shop and, and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> and, and the fact, you know, they made a joke about the whole Logitech controller that in itself doesn't, I don't, you know, people, People use controllers like that sure. to operate all kinds of of expensive equipment. That in itself didn't. I didn't go, ha ha. They use the Logitech controller, but uh, if if they used an Etch a Sketch, I mean that would be a different thing. But I don't know. What did you, what did you think about all, all this, Chris? It's just that was kind of that was kind it, of my intro topic. Had I had I had one, it was fascinating to to kind of watch unfold just because it says so much like so many different things about society, right? Like that. Yes, it does. Everything becomes a meme and like, you know, yeah, a lot of people do not have immediate compassion (laughs) for very Mm -hmm. rich people, especially, you know, I have more compassion for, of course, the passengers who, you know, probably did not realize just how much in danger they were until it was way too late. I, I, really don't have much compassion for the main CEO. Cause it's just one of those things. I'm like, yeah, there's another guy who said I'll cut corners and not get certified and do things the right way because that takes more money and more expense. And that's what I care about, you know? Um, yeah. And I'll just tell everyone that I'm smart and they're wrong. And unfortunately that wasn't the case. So, you know, uh, it's, it, it's tragic. I feel really bad for, like I said, those families, but it was quite an interesting thing. And it reminds me of just how morbid we can all be sometimes. And there's part of me that loves that kind of morbid humor, but then there's like another part of me just goes like, what's that say about us as a society? I don't know. Yeah, dude, (laughs) I I got this. This kind of has something to do with it, but when COVID happened. Yeah. And when, and when it got really when it became like, okay, this is serious. I saw this meme, my favorite meme, and it wasn't because it was necessarily funny it was because it was very telling of who we were. It's, mm. it's this, it, it was a meme of this old man sitting at a picnic table with a younger, like a grandson. Yeah. And they were talking about, and this was like many, many years in the future, basically our generation being the old man talking about COVID and the kid going, what did you do? Grandpa? And he, you know, you contrast it with what people did in the Great Depression, what people did during World War II, what people did during the chaotic 60s. 
And his answer to his grandson's question was, oh, we just really kind of sat around and sent memes around. Yeah. Because, I mean, because that's that's a commentary of of kind of, and I'm talking about myself, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you're, and I'm sure you're referring to yourself too. Sure, that's just kind of that's just kind of who we are now. And and when Clarissa asked me, I said one of the reasons I don't. She goes, "Have you seen this meme and this meme?" I'm like, I'm trying not to focus on those because I know how easy it is to be completely amused by something like that. Because there was one that was like the end scene when the old lady in Titanic dies and the entire crew is welcoming her. Mm-hmm. And and the door opens and 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 Leo is out holding the hand. He's like, somebody said that this is this is what the crew of this submersible is going to see when they die. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like gosh, it's like chuckle chuckle a little bit, but at the same time you're like, ah. But it's true. It's like somebody's one of my friends on Facebook was talking about. I'm definitely going to not feel sorry for these people. These are billionaires, yeah. and billionaires are evil. And I'm like, oh man, that's, I guess, I guess that's just who we are. I I don't know. But it's like the best scenario, somebody, somebody made an interesting point the other day where I heard it. I don't know, but they were like, if, if death was a certainty in this situation, the way it happened is definitely how they wanted it, would have wanted it to happen. Sure. The immediate implosion, no suffering. Can you imagine having to sit there possibly in the dark, you know? down there waiting on what is it like it's the size of a of one of those old ford aerostar minivans you remember yeah. those things yeah it's, um, like, it, it's i can't I, I i'm i'm i don't i don't advertise myself as claustrophobic but that doesn't mean i like confined spaces per se sure and i just can't imagine i mean you start to think about you know we've got like 24 hours of oxygen left do we just need to just Axe ourselves so the nineteen-year-old kid has a, you know, a better shot of surviving all this. Mm. But the, the other thing about it is too, Chris. I don't know how you are, but even under the circumstances of going down with James Cameron, which was, in, as far as I'm concerned, probably 120 percent safe, you could not pay me two hundred fifty thousand dollars to go down there, sure. ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't belong down there. <laughs> James Cameron. There's no does. need. Go look at National Geographic and look at the pictures. And yet, you know, it's funny. It's like all they were going to see was images on a monitor. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> dude, just go to a They're website like, and look at that. But I just, feel like I'm there. Yeah. Just go. Yeah. Just just it, pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars to pay James Cameron to show you IMAX video of his footage. That's basically what that is. I but, guess it, it's. I guess it's just the weirdest part of it. It's like, it's the exact same hubris as the white star line in 1912. That's the weird, that's the part that I think is the most fascinating of it. It's like, it's the exact same thing. Like, yeah, we could just do this. Now we don't need anyone to tell us what's the best way to do it. You know, uh, screw these warnings. Who cares about that? You know, screw, screw lifeboats. We don't need that. That just makes us more tacky. So what's funny is it's weird. Funny is, the, the, the craziest things you hear about the Titanic. I don't know if this is true. People used to think this was true. Had the Titanic just kept its bearing mm. and not tried to turn Correct. and just ran through it, it, would, it wouldn't have sank. No. It, it would have been completely, it would have destroyed the glacier and it would have been fine. I don't know if it would have destroyed it. Were, the I mean, not it would have fine, caved but, it. You know, yeah. it wouldn't have sunk. Yeah, they would have probably like had maybe, I don't know, 
at most a hundred people die. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it would have been people yeah. who were in the boilers in the very front of the ship, you know, uh, working on that kind of stuff. They would have been the ones probably the most likely to die that moment. But yeah, but, you're, but, you're right. But how was, how was your week, bud? Uh, it's good. I really, the only thing I got is, um, is I did see the flash. I know Sean saw the flash too. Um, did you see the flash? I did. I did. You were, you were one of those people like me, huh? We were, we were me, you and Sean were the three people that apparently went to go see the flash in terms of blockbuster, uh, success. Cause it did not do that well. Uh, comparatively, obviously there are a lot of movies that would love to make $55 million their opening weekends, but they usually cost about like 12 to $30 million to make, not, you know, mm-hmm. 225. Um, I don't know. Uh, for the most part, I liked it. Uh, there mm-hmm. are a couple of things like, I think it's third act kind of does the traditional thing where it gets kind of a little bit lost and gets a little bit loud and it's just things going on and without like really any, pay off like especially like side characters and that without saying too much right like i would have been really been nice to see more of them and and actually had some stakes to them uh but i also see why they were really hesitant to fire (laughs) and reshoot this movie because to credit to him you know he might be a tool of a human being uh from all the stuff that's out there that he's been doing the last two years but uh that Ezra Miller does give a pretty good performance and a very good uh, emotional performance, uh, especially towards the end there of kind of like connecting everything. It gets it right, like in the sense of like what makes Barry tick and, you know, what's his his driving force in a lot of uh, his decisions in life. And for the like I said, for the most part, have fun time. I would tell most people to wait. And I I, I know Sean has seen this and I've seen some people trying like the 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 video effects supervisor trying to push back on this, but I'm sorry. That movie has some of the most God awful CGI. It has some amazing CGI, but it also has some of the most God awful CGI I've seen in a modern film. And it's not exclusive to them. It's been the thing going on lately in Hollywood, just because I think they're all overworked so much now, right? So many of these movies need so many shots and you need them done by this date. But yeah, there are some, some moments in there where I was just like that, that looks bad. I I don't know how else to like, you know, things like Gollum and and Lord of the Rings looks 10 times better than certain shots in this movie. And that's a 20 year old movie, you know, things like that. So I don't know. What'd you think? Yeah. I, I, I really, I really liked the, the tone of the film, the energy of the film. Sure. And if there was, dude, if there was one movie I thought was really going to make a make bank, it was going to be this one. I really, I don't know that I can put my finger on exactly what happened on why this one just didn't, you know, I, I, saying that, saying that it's not, not that you said this, but people mm-hmm. have said that maybe it's just the controversy of Ezra Miller. I don't know. It just, uh, it seems like there's an amalgamation of a lot of things. Like sure. with the way the budget ballooned, there was never any real prayer of it making the money it needed to make, which is sort of Warner Brothers and DC's MO when it comes to DC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I the Ezra thing, the fatigue of multiverses. It's Except- almost as if 
it's almost as if Marvel needs to kind of hurry up and wrap this this multiverse thing up. It's like Marvel needs to look at this and go, hmm, there's some fatigue going on because we've been seeing multiverses in numerous iterations. In and only one st- of them has done it well. Yeah, which one? Spider-Verse. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, 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 gotcha. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's that. It's just the lack of energy with respect to James Gunn the lack of energy they have in investing their time in something that they know is over. Yeah. You know? And I hate that because I was really excited for Michael Keaton. I was really excited he, to see Ben Affleck again. Dude, and Michael Keaton. Awesome. Great. Like, he, I really, I loved seeing him in that costume again. It really, it's almost like, it's almost like it gave me something. I didn't really know I wanted Chris, if, if that correct. makes sense. It's like we we'd all moved on with from Michael Keaton and you know always appreciated it, but you know Batman films have gone on to become better than the, than they were there. No disrespect sure. to what Tim Burton did because he did something amazing, at least bringing the template forward about what what a superhero movie would look like on film. But mm-hmm. at least a dark, gritty Batman version, that kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, there's so many reasons. There's so many combinations. It's like an amalgamation of, of of why this film didn't do well. And I and I and I, I'm not saying it was a perfect movie, much less a perfect ending. But I think the I think the movie on its on its merits deserved more success. And I just got to say one final thing about it. Um, but if you haven't seen it yet, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch Kevin Smith's. Uh, <laughs> story about God, uh John Peters the head of Warner Brothers wanting to do wanting to add um a certain something into into the next Superman film this was 20 years ago but Kevin Smith tells that story and I and, and I watch this movie and I go oh my god <laughs> I was <laughs> just, just like did the- <laughs> this is the most random easter egg I was like I was like I freaking oh. loved it. I freaking loved it because I got the joke. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? No, I was laughing <laughs> so hilariously, but at the same time, I'm like looking around the theater and everyone's and like What's this? <laughs> was... And look, and look, ladies and gentlemen, the reason I know about that story is because Chris let me borrow mm. the DVDs that he I don't know if it was DVDs that you had, a collection yeah. of Kevin Smith, if you haven't heard about him, he's an he's a He's a Hollywood director, does a podcast now. He's he's really in, de- in embedded into the nerd culture. He he was asked to do a script for Superman back in the day. But anyway, yeah. Chris let me borrow a bunch of these DVDs of what he would use. He used to go to college campuses and just talk to the students. Still does, I believe. It, it, it'd be does he just still do it? Mm-hmm. Great. He's such a fantastic storyteller because he tells you all these kinds of stories of his experiences as sort of a outsider in hollywood you know yeah. what i mean so i think anyway i think that and uh you can I th- a lot of them are on youtube now uh mm-hmm. I, I always mm-hmm. recommend two of them the superman is always usually first the second one is his prince documentary because that's oh, yeah. that's about as equally just bat crazy <laughs> that you could think See, of when when prince asks for a horse he doesn't yeah. understand why you can't get him a horse, a horse. <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning. At three o'clock in the morning <laughs> in Minnesota, in the middle of January, you're just like, oh god. Yeah. 
Uh, this is the sound of doves crying. Well, this is the sound when Kevin gets pissed. <laughs> There's so many good lines in that. But uh, all right, yeah, that's that's all I've got. Um, yeah. Okay, I figure that's a good intro. Subs, d- <laughs> subs in Flash. <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was actually uh, I'm glad you brought up the Flash because I I, I yeah. I'd forgotten I'd seen it. I'd forgotten mm. I had. I just. And I and I you know with everything else that came out, that's the one I chose. I haven't seen Spider Man yet. I haven't seen Transformers yet. I haven't seen Galaxy Guardians yet. Wow. So I mean, that's the one I really was excited to see because, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if I've <clears throat> voiced this, but I've always been perfectly fine with the Snyderverse. Mm. I always thought it was fixable, but Warner Brothers and DC does what it do, and it scraps something and starts over. And it's cost them more money. Exhibit A. They um they announced their Superman and Lois today. That's all. Uh, literally, like, like right, no, no, for the new gun movie. Uh, they just announced it. Like literally, they're this calling afternoon. it Superman and Lois. No, no, they just the characters who's playing oh, Superman and Lois. Who is it? Um, the Henry Cavill. No, uh, Lois Lane is the is the main woman from uh, the Marvelous Miss Marvelous Mabel or whatever it is that really popular uh, Amazon show from the last oh, couple of years. That's a good choice. That's and a pretty good choice. I can't remember who the actor is, but uh, it's the guy from it's from a Netflix show, the the Protector or something like that. Uh, it's on IGN, but yeah, you know, he looks the part. He looks like he could be a Superman. I mean, if we can make Dean Kane Superman, we can make anyone Superman, if you ask me. That's the way I view it. Gosh darn it. He looks like a he looks like Henry Cavill and Tom Welling had a baby. Mm-hmm. I think he's tall too, so that always helps. But hey, hopefully old James Gunn will go out there and cook up something good and maybe we can, as you say, finally have a little bit of stability now. We'll see. Warner will probably find a way to screw it up. <laughs> Let's go to this topic. Ladies and gentlemen, if you made it this far, you know what time it is when you hear that sound. Obviously, it must be topic time. And normally, Sean would uh, cue me up, right? Like you would be all like, "Yeah, today, you know, today, Chris is going to talk about what we're going to talk about." But he's going to do that first by telling you what we're going to talk about. So go ahead, Chris, get us what we're, give us a laydown of what we're. Y'all, 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 y'all like this? Listen to this sound effect. He's going to do real quick. Sean, That's him teeing, teeing us up. I hope Sean sees you at the building at some point <laughs> this week and just just clocks you across the face, and you'll know exactly <laughs> why he did it. Uh, and I hope I'm there. I hope I'm there. But oh, ladies that, and gentlemen, that hurts, man. That hurts. The topic is the.
It's Diablo Dude, 4, I, John. I'm sorry. I, I played Immortal. Oh. Well, you know what? This game made more, than apparently, they say, than Immortal did in, like, three days <laughs> than it did a year. Because <laughs> I think they did, like, some some uh, data analytics to say they probably made about 550 fil- $550 million its first year. Diablo made six hundred and sixty-six million in three days, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Diablo Four. I have John. I have played a lot of Diablo Four, uh, which is not, I think, too surprising to anyone when you consider just the fact that you know, um, when we were doing our most anticipated games this year, right? I said Starfield One. Diablo was Diablo four was my second one. Right. So I was ready, uh, to go to hell on day one, but I was also there with the, uh, understanding that I remember Diablo three's hellish launch and how bad that was <laughs> trying to log on the servers and things crashing. Um, you know, I've definitely seen my friends go through the hell of it with other games from blizzard. Like, wow. Um, I went through it with Overwatch. It, it's not an uncommon thing. So my thinking when I actually got onto this was maybe the early access will give me some reprieve, but when we hit the main masses, it's going to go really bad, really, really fast. And John, I'm happy to report that even though I think every news outlet was ready to report on server issues and there were a few slight hiccups right and by slight i mean like i think the longest outage i can recall was maybe like two hours one day like and that was the second weekend you know like on a saturday it was down from like 2 to 4 p.m which considering how many people are playing this thing is pretty freaking good yeah. You know. Well, then didn't they get to the point where certain fans out there, maybe a loud minority, were kind of lobbying for Blizzard to make an offline version of this game? I think that always happens when things like that happen. Yeah. And there was apparently, I, I will say, I wasn't playing this weekend. I was doing, uh, I finally decided to give myself, and I kind of needed it. I needed a break um, from. Uh, <laughs> I need, I needed a break from it and I started playing Final Fantasy 16. So I didn't experience it, but yeah, there was apparently some, uh, DDoS attack on Blizzard this weekend that did take them down for an extended period, which I don't, you know, that's one of those things I'm not going to fault Blizzard on. That's not their fault, right? It's not your fault that a bunch of hackers target you and flood your systems to the point where they fail. You really can't do anything to stop that. Um, but yeah, no, the servers, you know, like even back in the beta, I had questions because even with the servers, when they were up, there were sometimes these problems of, uh, do you know what rubber banding is, John? Uh, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't, I know you don't play a ton of online games. So rubber banding is like when your character is going forward and all of a sudden they just don't move because the world hasn't caught up to them or like they're going somewhere and all of a sudden they just teleport 10 yards back because that's really where the game thinks they are at that point. And there was a lot of that on the busy days of the, um, of the, you know, uh, the uh, testing of the servers and all that. And I will say 
the first main release day that night there was a fair share of it but by the next day it was fine and i again like outside maybe it happening once every 10 hours it it has not been there like this game is about as stable of a launch i've ever seen from a blizzard online game and for them that has huge props um for them because you know i think in today's day and age destiny whatever it just doesn't seem to be the case um so you know it they deserve a lot of credit for that um you know but let's start with uh the most basic thing that i think people are here for which is the story right um and you know this one is diablo for the story hmm? <laughs> i know that's that's a point to be made right like you know i know my wife just my wife just yelled out not me <laughs> i'll say this i diablo 2's end is great with the world stone uh soul stone and uh diablo's essence getting sucked into that and all that i did not like diablo 3's story i like the reaper of souls one uh that they did for the expansion but i just remember yeah like diablo 3 story it was like oh okay this person i've been me the whole entire time just gonna get stabbed in the head now diablo's back and and now we're going to heaven <laughs> to fight and man tyrell's or tyrell's uh kind of a downer <laughs> and i was like oh man they just killed deckard kane wow can't believe that happened uh he but died in every game no no he was in diablo 2 and then he dies in 3 i don't know if he's in diablo 1 but um yeah, this one takes place 20 years after, and it's kind of big because unlike the art games, you know, the big setup for this one isn't one of the primeval's essence kind of being a thing in the background that you're worried about coming back, right? This, from the day one they showed this game, and now I can say going through it, this is the story of Lilith. She is the main villain. She is the the focus of your attention and unlike you know mephesto and and diablo and uh man what's the other one starts with a b i cannot remember right now um you know they're interesting and you know actually mephesto does have like an appearance of some sort in here i won't spoil it but is it, is it belial maybe it is like it's something with a b but um this one, you know, it it's like those those ones the threat is what's interesting, right? And usually you start off with like hey, there's a threat and it probably is going to lead to a lesser evil and then we get to one of those big 3 and we have it out, right? And a lot of times it's also Diablo ends up in there anyways. But here Lilith is just much more interesting because she is you know, while you don't know why she's been summoned back at the beginning of this game, when you kind of start to hear the intentions of like what her goal is, what her motivation is, and especially towards the end of this game, like if this was an RPG in, you know, like say it was like Mass Effect, I could say this. I probably was sided with Lilith <laughs> on her plan and said like, there's logic in this, like this really makes it, you know, but of course you can't really do that in Diablo game. You have to be like, no, nah, it's hell, you know? Uh, well, isn't that sort of the traditional staple of what a good villain is where you mm. kind of go, you kind of go, he kind of has a point. 
Yeah, like, yeah, she has a very good point. Like for those who don't know, Lilith has a lot of history in this world. Um, she is the one who actually created Sanctuary. So you know, like way, way back, there was an a never-ending war between heaven and hell, right? And it would just destroy countless worlds. And basically, she is the one who, along with Daenerys, forms Sanctuary and kind of dispels heaven and hell to a different plane to do their battle there. So, and, you know, invents humanity and all that. So, like, she has a stake in this game. Uh, and again, I, I don't want to give away where it goes and what her plan is and, and everything, but it's so intriguing that every time you get back to her, you are just, you're, you're holding on it every moment. Right. I think like, and it's to a point where there is, you know, Blizzard has done some great cutscenes in their day. Like I could think of going all the way back to Warcraft, uh, three and Lich King's DLC and all that kind of stuff. There is in the final act of this, like an eight minute stretch cutscene that is like, if you're a fan of Diablo and fan of Blizzard, this is kind of just like what you've been wanting to see. Like you want to see <laughs> this level of scope and awe and craziness. Uh, and it's, it's probably one of the most memorable beats. So that, that was the first surprise to your point, John, like the story grabbed me. I have talked to Jeff, a uh, friend of the show. He was completely no, 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 no. A friend of Chris. Friend of Chris. <laughs> uh, he's completely he, you know, he suck it right into the to the story. I believe Mike, uh, he finished it and thought the story was great too. Uh, I have comments from Sean. I think he he kind of hints to it as well. Like it's a very surprising thing how well this works out, and it's actually got just some great voice actors too. Uh, there's a guy who plays Lorath, who's kind of like the new Deckard Kane who actually then shows up in Final Fantasy 16. And I didn't realize, like, he's a regular act, character actor type guy. He's been in some movies and things you probably recognize him from. But, like, that dude just needs to start being put in games because he's just got a great voice. It, it, he works, you know. Like, there's so there's so few of us out there, you know. Yeah. yeah. I got it. But, of course, the main thing here is if you come to play Diablo, no, the truth is you came for the loot. You came for the punishment of torments. You came for nightmares and everything else. Uh, and I think you're going to find that what you're used to from traditional Diablo in some ways is still there, but it is a change in. Um, and I think for some people that is going to be a little bit of a shock and, uh, you know, maybe an adjustment, right? I think back to Diablo 3 and really what kept me going so much on it was just that routine of any moment I could join a party of people, right, in the end game, go do a Rift dungeon, get a key for a greater Rift, go right into that and keep doing that and pushing it until, you know, I got gear that I liked and could equip and could, you know, optimize if, if it had good stats, right. Or maybe something like, you know, uh, we get a random key to a treasure goblin, uh, dungeon and go do something like that, or maybe the cow God, uh, <laughs> or whatever, you know, like little cool things like that. But like, I could do that. And it wasn't ever a problem. If someone dropped out of the group, I didn't have to talk to my teammates. I didn't have to be there to set anything up. I just, 
could keep coming in and out with a full party and feel like I was getting the maximum effort of what I was doing. And then when I was ready, I could go back out to the menu and say, okay, guys, this was fun playing with you. Let me go increase my, my world tier difficulty, right. To a new level and then join a new party and keep going. And that was what that loop was so appealing to me. Right. Cause you just, mm -hmm. there are a few online games that I think you can do that with that aren't just an FPS shooter, right. Where you're just joining yeah. a random lobby. <clears throat> here that really isn't the option that is there right now um instead they have you know like before sanctuary's always just been zones that have been built and then you have the dungeons that are procedurally generated right when you go into them and you you'll remember this from diablo 3 like you always start out like in fractured uh steps and then you go or peaks and then you'll go to dry steeps and like all the other different regions of the map, right? But typically when you go through a region, you're done with it. You don't really go back to it unless you just want to, to do side quests and things like that. You can just kind of keep going. And, you know, of course you're kind of put into a place at the end of the game where you do not have a need to go back unless you really want to, because everything you need is right there, right? Your blacksmith is right there. You're, your jeweler is right there. All of those little tools you need in these games to keep yourself optimized and keep going. It's all put in a very convenient way. Um, but here, instead, they've decided to actually make the open world and make it a continuous map. And props out to Blizzard first off. You know, the thing with these kind of games that's nice is that <laughs> they have Blizzard money. Right. So <laughs> they, you know, they're like Naughty Dog. They're like, we, you know, yeah, people will only see this cup once when they pass by it, but we will make it our cup and we will so, put, you know, custom assets for this cup instead of just some low grade thing that we got out of a package of images. Like <laughs> that kind, that's the kind of stuff you're paying for with a Blizzard game, that hubris. So, <laughs> so I've heard people in addition to yourself say this is an open world game yeah uh, yeah um a lot of it. like how how do you what do you it's hard for me to envision what an open world game looks like that looks like this as opposed to what diablo 3 was does it does that mean there's just no cuts between no i, I mean, mean it's all just a fluid place it, it's all just this one big open map and there's no sections the way that diablo uh three was divided up you have sections that constitute regions of the map, but it's all connected into like one continent. And like, you know, as you're going through the world doing things, you're, you know, kind of like any other game, you're discovering the map, right? Like what's over mm -hmm. here, what's up there. Uh, it's all kind of shadowed off to you. Kind of like how a Skyrim map would be at the very start where, you know, you might see a couple of key landmarks on the map, but you don't know what's in between and all that. So you discover a lot of those and you know, the big difference here is like you, you know, with the dungeons specifically, it's like those dungeons are at specific locations on the map and they have specific things that they're doing for you. Mainly uh, the big thing is you're going through this game. There are a couple of things that you're looking out for 
that you need to go do as you explore the map. One is there are altars of Lilith throughout the whole entire world, right? These altars, you kind of go up, you press a button, all of a sudden you get told, hey, now all of your characters have plus two intelligence than they had before, right? It's a permanent stat boot. Uh, other things you're doing, you know, then you'll go and you'll actually find the dungeon. And thing that's unique with all these dungeons is every dungeon has a aspect that is tied to it. The aspects are kind of like, think of your, they can be seen as kind of like the things that are chief perks of legendary gear, right? Not all legendary gear uses aspects, but all aspects can turn something into a legendary gear or be put on legendary gear. So you start going through all these dungeons. A lot of it is because there, I believe for every class in the game, there are 35 specific dungeons you can do that will give you aspects that you can put on that character. So that is kind of your driving force. And like, you know, it can be something like, Oh, Hey, Whenever I take damage for the first time, I get a barrier put up around me. So, you know, like when you go to fight in elite, you have a little bit of protection bubble on you. Or I'm playing as a druid. I have one that's called Lucky Hit and basically says, hey, you know, whenever when you have this equipped now, you do you have a 25 percent more chance to have a critical strike uh, and um, like the longer you're casting lightning the percentage of critical damage goes up and the percentage chance of critical damage also goes up. So with, when I have that on a weapon, I'm holding it down. The longer I cast it, like their health on like elite enemies will start out with just a little blip and about four seconds. It just starts going douche, douche dead. You know, it's very satisfying. <laughs> um, yeah, so you're you're going in, you're doing those, and there are also side quests throughout the world too uh, that you'll pick up sometimes from town, other times from uh, basically from you know just random things. Like you'll turn over a rock and you'll find an item, and that will be tied to a quest that you can then go do. Um, the quests are kind of like a mixed assortment, and I, I will say this: they're not overwhelmingly required outside of the fact that there is a system in this game called renown every region basically the more you do in it the more statues waypoints map discovery you get rewards eventually and i would say like it's about the equivalent for those who have played wow of like you know when you kind of align with something like um you know like the humans in in the different kingdoms and all that uh i'm completely drawing the blank of the main kingdom storm or whatever it's called uh <laughs> right now but like it's kind of like that where you're building up that renown so like first it might just be like oh hey you'll get a couple of uh skill points and then it might be oh you increase the number of potions you can carry now right healing potions and eventually it'll be oh you get paragon points so you know like for late in game that's really helpful so you kind of find yourself doing with your character a lot to build this out to max. I would say the, the thing I've seen is if you're willing to do every dungeon in the region, find every statue of Lilith, discover the whole map. Um, and there are also things called strongholds, which are kind of like, just imagine like going into it in like a dungeon that's actually in a castle in an open field. Right. 
like where you go in and it's cursed to some way and you you have to go through and do activities until you get to a main boss with it if you beat it you unlock the stronghold and that gives you a lot of renown as far as for your character if you're willing to do all those things side quests you probably only have to in every region do 10 and that's a good thing because i think side quests on one hand there's definitely a fair share of like mmo fetch quest type things right that are kind of just one-offs little tiny stories they're perfectly fine they're not too you know but they're not too shocking or anything uh but i have noticed that every region it seems like and they do make these ones very easy to discover i've also noticed compared to other ones which are i think the ones that you just randomly discovered are more set up to be traditional fetch quest stuff you know because they're not just putting it out there in the front of you with those they can actually have storylines that go and like have multiple legs and twists and turns and will send you to different parts of the region to kind of discover things and i mean some of them are quite interesting uh i have to say like if you if you do ride them out like where you just see how terrible people in this world can be to one another <laughs> at every second and just be like man why do any of you want to live right now i don't understand it um <laughs> uh, but you know that all works towards then of course to the end game which again very different because while you do still have I think the crux of it would say, so Diablo three, right. Was doing riffs and greater riffs and then changing your torment level to get better benefits from, from those dungeons. Right. And you were just kind of randomly generating them. The main thing here for that would be nightmare dungeons, which you do, which basically takes one of the regular 113 dungeons on the map and, turns it into a leveled one to a hundred nightmare dungeon based on where you are in progression of gear level and, and actual level in the game. Right. And it kind of does what is the equivalent of, I would say greater rifts where outside minus the time requirement, it goes and says, okay, Hey, this dungeon is now going to be nightmare tier 16, right? All right. Well, you get a buff where whenever you kill an enemy, you gain movement speed, right? So every time for like four seconds or wherever it is. But the trade-off is there are these three things or four things or five things, depending on what level you've gone to, that are going to make your life a little bit harder. And they can range from just something like, hey, anytime you kill an enemy, they explode, <laughs> and can blow you up very easily. Or we had a wonderful one, me and Jeff, that was just real fun to deal with. Uh, I put that in quotes. Uh, of there, Every now and then, we would get a warning that we were about to be struck by lightning, and we had to look for a bubble to basically hop into. And if you did not make it to the bubble, it was pretty much an instantaneous kill. And the instead of it being like before, where it was a time limit thing, here, it's you usually have X number of revives to clear the dungeon. So I think it starts out the lower ones. It's like 12 revives that you get uh, between your party to do it versus then when you start to get higher up, it eventually gets down to like just like pretty much everyone can die once and then you need to beat the dungeon. So, uh, you know, and that that's kind of the most classic Diablo thing 
I would say from there. The rest of it is more so taking place in the world itself. And, you know, you're going around, they have a bunch of different activities from kind of like uh, something called Grimm's, which basically takes regions of the map and, and says, hey, go do these kind of, I would call them the equivalent of bounties or daily quests for WoW players where you go and once you complete like a certain number of tasks, you go, you turn it in. They say, oh, hey, here's a collection of helms, you know, and you open that up and probably, I would say if you do it three times, two out of three times, there'll probably be a legendary helm in there at least that then you can go and look and say, does this match what I want? You know, is it doing what I need? Those kinds of things. There are periodic things that take place in the world called hell tides, where basically a whole entire region starts getting stormed down in blood and you go through the region. And the goal is to kill as many things as you can throughout the time period without dying because everything you're killing drops a currency that then you can go through out that region and find the sacred chest that will have sacred legendary or even ancestral legendary, which is like top tier stuff, um, gear that you can unlock and you spend that currency. So you're going around, you're like trying to find really big mobs of enemies in that region, just so that you can gather a lot of resource very, very quickly. I think early on, these things are really fun and they kind of do change it up. Um, and I would say up until this point, I do think you do start to hit a level as you start to get close to 70 where it, doesn't feel as beneficial on those things as they did in the beginning, which is kind of like where the developer seems to be trying to figure things out right now. Cause they're trying to get that balance. They don't want you just to exclusively do dungeons. They want you to be invested in this stuff. And uh, my complaint would be like till today was literally they haven't started to do that. And of course, because we delayed this episode a week, <laughs> Today is the day that they finally put out their first major patch of the game, and they've literally come in and tried to patch a bunch of this stuff today. Nice. So, um, and that's a good thing. I did get to play it a little bit. I played the new patch uh, for about. We love that. We love right, that. We love a good patch. You know, I played it for about 20 minutes uh, before the show, and I can tell you it is a substantial patch. Like every class basically got buffed in this patch, and a lot of the things that we were all kind of looking at and complaining about and going like, you know, because I, I it's, it's hard to explain to people this, that just are not familiar. These kinds of games, action, RPG, loot games, doesn't matter. If we're talking about destiny, Diablo pathfinder. They take years. Like Diablo three did not get optimized basically until Reaper of souls. That was when that game got really good in terms of gear and understanding how to do things right. And, you know, to act like they're going to have everything perfect on day one here is just, I think you're, you're naive, you know, like they don't have data. They don't know how players are going to play when you take, you know, you could have 50 or a hundred, you know, quality testers go do something. It's not the same as when you get, 10 million people playing the game and doing things that you just couldn't foresee and you know how they're going to focus and data mine and say, this is the most efficient way to do this. Right. Um, well, Chris, I think you would have been happier with the game. Had you gone to KFC a whole lot more. 
Mike did go to KFC a lot. Yeah, he yeah. did. Uh, I did not do anything with that. Um, they, uh, but no, like this patch today, there's already like nice fixes. One of the things that sucked the first little bit with those nightmare dungeons, when you popped one to make it, it would show you where it was on the map, but then you'd have to go there. Like you'd have to get on your horse and, and travel to this location to start it. Now it has that ability much like before in Diablo three, where when it pops on the map, you can literally just press a button and fast travel to the entrance of the dungeon that right there is saving. There was complaints about how nightmare dungeons were not giving enough XP because like when you got to the high, high tiers of this, people were going away from them and just doing regular dungeons because they could literally mow those things down way faster for way more efficient XP uh, loops than they were playing, you know, taking 20 minutes to go through and being like, this this is just isn't worth the squeeze. So they've apparently increased the amount of XP you're getting through there. They've also increased the number of uh, mobs that are coming out of them and increasing how much uh, XP they are providing you. Uh, there's been buffs I've seen for the the world event type stuff like the Grims and the Helltides and world bosses to, to again, to make it more worthwhile to be invested in those things so that you can have a variety of activities instead of one. There's been an investment on Helltide geared, I think, for the higher levels so those people can really feel like they have a shot at really, truly great gear as they get towards level 100 in the end of it, right? Um, and you know, most importantly, I think it's the first time I've ever seen Blizzard release a patch where every class got buffs and nothing got nerfed. <laughs> so everyone right now is just feeling golden as they go around this map. I imagine, uh, everything I've seen, like I've followed a couple of hardcore Diablo people, you know, like one dude, I have to say, shout him out. He has had his life change in the last two months. Great. Just seems like a cool dude out there. I can't remember the name of his channel, but like he's got really long red hair and he's just so he's had fun on this route. He's like, I'm Diablo guy. And, you know, today when I was watching his video going over the notes, you could just tell he's like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> he's like, thank you, RNG Jesus so much right now. But um, no, yeah, like I, I do think, uh, you know, as far as a launch for one of these things, I really can't say that, like, I remember one going this smooth in a while. Um, there are That's some really good, though. That's really good. Yeah. You also have, you, you kind of have to become when, when a, when a studio like this has a successful launch where, like you said, there have been issues, but com compared to the way these things typically go, this is a success. They need to almost become consultants. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the way I, you know, kind of like the way Sony has um, has Bungie at this point. Activision needs to utilize Blizzard going forward in this consult consultation type capacity. Like, yeah, they really need to consult with three four three. Yeah. Um, as far as like where we're going now, I do think there is some concern, just like. You know, Diablo 3 wasn't a live service game. It was one that was a more optimized version of Diablo 2. 
right and use seasons and ladders to kind of like which everyone in that community is used to but they didn't have battle passes and i think that's like the one thing that's holding them up right now is there is probably a contingent of people out there that i imagine they do not want to they they're not to the point where they're invested in the idea of going out there and doing seasons of like you know for those who do not know basically the idea is when diablo does a season you invent a character on day one you play through it to you know at level one and and play through it to max right uh and usually what would happen is if you beat all the stuff in the season you get a bunch of rewards that were cosmetic and all that kind of stuff you could bring that back anything like the jewels uh and i also think even some of the gear you get you could bring back for your main right and like that would be kind of helpful uh at the very least you'd have all the cosmetic but the big thing is once the season was done that character was gone you know and why did people enjoy this so much because they could change up and put kind of certain stipulations on seasons to make them feel unique and more importantly you know it allows people to try different classes different builds right like if i'm doing a diablo 3 i mainly did necro you know, if I came back for a season and played it through, that may be when I finally go do a barbarian build, right? And see what that's all about. Um, here, I think right now, from my understanding with the season content, pretty much all the battle pass stuff is tied to seasonal characters. And a lot of people don't like the idea of having to basically say, you told me to get to world tier four and work to 100 for the last two months. And now you want me to just put that character aside that I've invested so much time in and go do this other thing for seasonal rewards <laughs> through him. And I'm not even going to get to keep that character when this is done. You know, like that, that is something I think for the mass public hasn't resonated yet. And that's something they need to figure out. And like, it's been really, the, the, the problem has been like, they've had pretty good messaging and they've done, they did a campfire chat where they tried to alleviate some of these concerns and like the fixes that we got today. But I still don't think they've been really clear. And until we probably get close to that, you know, some tells me it's going to be a couple of seasons into their battle pass until they start to get it right. I think that's going to be the place where they struggle for a little while because, you know, the builds, I'll say this builds wise, you can pretty much respect after a while, like, you know, cost about 60,000 to take a fully tiered character and respect, right. And, and rebuild. And anyone who knows when you get to end game Diablo, you go from like a million gold to like 10 million gold pretty fast if you want like there are ways to maximize gold pretty effectively in this game i think i have like 20 million gold right now so like sixty thousand is not a lot you know uh to respec and all that which is cool because it does allow people as they nerf and, and adjust things try out new builds with those main characters and say i originally started my build i was a bear druid and then I eventually went to the Stormcrawler Druid because I just realized I don't like playing that melee tank as much. And this was more of an AOE build. They, you know, there's some people that would challenge that they haven't allowed enough Serenji yet to really get creative and crazy with the build. So we'll see if that comes in time. But, you know, I, I, 
right now, I really do think their biggest obstacle isn't so much balance of the classes and the characters and all that. It really is more so balance of what is the live service of this game to the average player? What do they want? What will keep them entertained uh, and going? You know, uh, besides that, I mean, like I, I've really tried to find things to overwhelmingly complain or like just say like are really negative. Um, there is a horse in this game and it works quite well and it changes your life. I really wish <laughs> the horse had been introduced like in act two instead of act four, because I think a lot of people are going to find themselves doing 10 million things at the beginning of this game. And they're going to be like level 40 by the time they go to act two, <laughs> which has happened so, to a number of people. So you would agree maybe that this game, as far as kind of an art direction, sort of decided to go back to a Diablo two look, look, yeah. am I crazy when I look at, I, I see, I see what Diablo two would look like in 2023. Yes. You know I mean, and it yeah. just seems like, you know, while the, you know, the, the, the footage that they've shown in, 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 in reveals and, and on stage and things like that are one thing, everything looks so Brown and yeah. so dead. Is that just going to be consistent to the whole game? Because one of the things, one of the things I love about Diablo three is, was its art style. And that mm. art style is not this. And sometimes that sometimes it doesn't matter to people, and I get that. But no, to me, I, it's like, oh god. See, that's kind of why I wanted to go to go into Diablo Immortal because it looked like the art style of Diablo sure. Three. You know what I mean? No, um, it's definitely different from Three. Uh, I won't say it's like Browns and all that. I mean, it it depends the region you're in, of course, right? But mm -hmm. like, obviously there are some places in this game like when you see the setting <laughs> and everything around like i mean she's draven's comment <laughs> you're not wrong <laughs> i don't know draven brings up the butcher i don't know how hardcore players are doing it this time because I, I i did not beat the butcher the first time that i've like probably till level 55 in the game that was the point when I finally got where I could survive him. So, you know, I don't know how they're doing it, but they, they find a way. Uh, if you, for the record, John, when you see the butcher the first time in this game, you're going to die. You should just probably accept that. And uh, if your wife's going to do a hardcore character, just tell her to be ready to run. Okay. Why does uh, Punkhead keep talking about whores? Hmm. I'm not sure. Lots of whores. <laughs> Lots of whores. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I jumped in the last bit of that. But um, um, as far as the art style, though, like, look, there, to me, it feels more right. It, it feels much more in line with the tone of the game and the tone of the world than three. Um, and on the flip side, I'll say this, like, there are moments in some of these, not all of them, uh, but there are a couple in particular I could think of that remind me of the Mines of Moria and the Balrog, like that kind of art style and things going on around you. And like, that just feels like that's what Diablo should be to me. You know, it shouldn't be action fantasy. It should be more high fantasy, um, and, and all that. So 
I really, I really like that. Uh, the art style. I think the world looks great. And like I said, you'll just see things that no other game would take the time to, to, to build out in terms of graphics on these worlds mm-hmm. um, or very few Naughty dog would because they're Naughty mm-hmm. dog. And you know, your favorite guy ever, Neil Druckmann would say, no, it's got to be that good. Um, the only other thing I could think of complaint wise, I, I said before, the thing I really liked was being able to jump in with friends. The open world kind of changes that they're really, I've yet to find a way other than like whispering to people or sending invites to people that are around me to, you know, to party up. Right. Like, and that kind of has made end game at times a little bit lonely for me. Like if Jeff, cause Jeff was a little bit behind me cause he was just kind of a guy. He's like, no, I have to go dig through all these things before I can beat the game. And I was like, cool, you know, but at the same time, you know, like when I'm playing with him or I'm playing with our people, that's when I'm having my most fun. And I feel like that is one thing they do need to add in this. Like I would say they just need a dungeon finder right? Like they need a nightmare dungeon finder for the end game, similar to what they have in wow, where I can just go, Hey, I want to do this tier between these tiers of nightmare dungeons and maybe do a gear check for me to make sure that I can do it. So I'm not trying to abuse the system. Right. And, and then put me in there and let me go. Um, and I'll be happy. I'd also, I'd like a little bit more, better idea of where the glyph board is going the paragon stuff is very different from this game it's not just stats you have a whole board you have to move through um and gives you glyph slots that make you exceptionally more powerful uh as you level them up and uh i would like to know (laughs) what my full roadmap should be because i've yet to figure out the best way to optimize that um it's been a lot of just going like yeah it looks good (laughs) Um, so we'll see. I'm sure those things will get adjusted in time. Um, do you want to hear what Sean thought about the game? If we must. (laughs) Yeah. Sean really did want to be here. Like, like we were going to record last week, but Sean had something come up to and and couldn't be here. So we said, we'll just cancel. And it like, again, I think it was kind of killing him that he couldn't be here to talk about this this week. Um, but here you go. Uh, here's what Sean sent me. They want me to make sure we shared with you. He says, to be honest, it's crazy to think we've played a new Diablo. I can't help but think how people wanted this during that, um, not so great BlizzCon way back in 2018. Remember that, don't we, John? Uh, <laughs> where we got a phone game announced instead of a new Diablo, but Hey, that wasn't half bad, right? It was technically a new Diablo. Ha! Speaking of something that isn't half bad, Diablo 4. Possibly the greatest Diablo yet. Question mark. Explanation point. Uh, I mean, it's pretty good, John. It's pretty good. I opted to get it on Series X at literally the last possible minute before launch. Turns out I picked the correct console. Hashtag Team Green. Yeah, PlayStation apparently has been the one place that's have some problems because Bobby Kodak hates PlayStation now, John. Um, all in all, I am really enjoying, uh, playing it. I'm in the final act is arc lashing cuss word sorcerer aptly named boom, boom. That's pretty funny. Good name. 
the dark atmosphere and the story are legit. The core gameplay isn't weirdly tinkered with the get loot level grinded out with the occasional O for a new rare piece of gear. For me, the way Diablo does, it feels so much different than, say, a traditional MMORPG. I could play this game daily and have fun for any time with it. In this game, our bad guy is Lilith. Lilith is quite the foe. She's so dark and evil. And she's kind of hot. I have to agree. I mean, she's ever since... Uh, who was the one in um, Resident Evil 8? Lady... Uh, oh, jeez. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, Lady, Lady, starts with a D. Dimitrescu. Yeah, well, you know, she was she was mommy, and now I think Lilith is mommy to a lot of people. Now, that's <laughs> what's happening. <laughs> She's the new mommy. <laughs> oh God! You're right. <laughs> um, let's see. The internet is undefeated. Right? You gotta love it. Uh, and he, Sean said, "I said what I said." <laughs> okay, moving on. I need to give props for the launch. Minimal hiccups. Sorry to those early 3080 Ti cards, though. Yeah, I think I read something that nuked some cards at some point. Uh, we shall remember your sacrifice. All in all, the launch is quite the feat, not only for a Blizzard game, but maybe even for modern gaming world we live in relative to an online-only game like this. So, Sean, is this a must-play? I definitely think it's a must-play, even if you're new to the Diablo world. Plenty of lore in this game if you want it, uh, if you want it, or also out in the interwebs. Uh, have fun, boys and girls, getting to know all things Diablo. How does it look and feel on the screen? Sean says it looks amazing. The music is amazing. Previously stated atmosphere. The story, at least for the main acts, is really good. Spoiler, back to music. It may show up sometime in December on the podcast about gaming during a certain spectacular. Did you just tell me I have to put Diablo in the music spectacular, John? <laughs> <laughs> like you're like you needed the uh, props for that. Yeah, right. I'll be like, I John did put it in there. I wouldn't me. I'm putting the Starfield stuff in there. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, as get you ready. Chris is going to put all the Starfield soundtrack. That's going to be the. Uh, holiday special that'd be great if i just came the on entire soundtrack, as, that's it, it start it starts out with the starfield track and be like okay here's some crappy song from a game called resident evil 4 john likes and he said i had to play it like play 20 seconds of it well, let's get back to starfield now <laughs> uh as you can tell though sean finishes up here by saying as you can tell i'm really digging everything about my time with diablo 4 my richard is a 9.5 out of 10 easily top tier game of 2023 that's what sean had to say about it maybe he'll offer some more thoughts when we're back uh in two weeks um i'm pretty close to sean i don't want to say 9.5 and I, I can't say 10 just because the game is not yet optimized i like i know this is not the best of what this game can be but if you want to say to me like in terms of a launch, yeah, it's probably like a 9.5. But in terms of everything, where the game is today, uh, the story, the setting, I'm going to go 9 out of 10. It's got me in there. I think it needs to do a couple things to, to really hook me the way Diablo 3 did and Diablo 2 did. We'll see with time how that goes because I think the 
to me, the test of Diablo is going to be if I don't play it till say randomly one day in February of next year, can I just pick up and fall right back into it? Because that's what I loved about three, you know, three really felt that way and always felt rewarding. Uh, but no, yeah, it's definitely a nine for me. I think it's right now my top tier games that have released this year. Uh, and I totally recommend if you love these kind of games, if you've been like a fan of path of exile or pathfinder, whatever, this is probably one you should check out. And especially if you're a fan of Diablo, I mean, like I still don't understand why you and your wife aren't playing it. You got to play Zelda. You've had that for two months. Play this game. Come on, John. <laughs> well, there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris <laughs> gives this game a seven out of 10. All <laughs> right. Uh, you want to do some news, John? Yes, absolutely. Okay, let's do some news. Hot off the press and straight to your ears. Weekly Games Chat presents the news. 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 <laughs> John, what were the sales of the kingdom? Oh, man, let's talk about sales of the kingdom. Tears of the Kingdom has sold more copies physically than Resident Evil 4 or Star Wars Jedi sold mm. both physically and digitally. Jeez. Did that make sense? I think that made sense. News comes by way of Circana, which is formerly MPD, showing that the game instantly became the second best-selling game of the year. What makes this impressive is the fact that Nintendo doesn't regularly disclose digital sales, which they haven't in this case. Mm. The best-selling games of 2023 so far are number one hogwarts legacy number two tears of the kingdom number three call of duty modern warfare 2 number four star wars jedi survivor number five resident evil 4 number six mlb the show hmm. number seven dead island 2 number eight fifa number nine dead am i counting that right one two three four five Six, seven, eight, nine. number nine dead space number 10 madden number 11 still going strong Elden Ring. You just can't defeat that game. <laughs> uh, yeah. I imagine when everything is done. I, well, I'm thinking of like sales for what's going to be for when we get to the end of this year, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, whatever the new Call of Duty, I would imagine we'll have a shot being somewhere on this list. I I want to say Starfield will be in there, but you know, of course, it's just really hard to judge what's going to be because of um, Game Pass, right? How many people just don't actually buy the game; they just go through Game Pass. So maybe that stifles where that that game will end up. But I think your top, uh, you know, out, taking out Mon or Call of Duty, I, I would be willing to venture. I think your top three will be Hogwarts Legacy, Tears, and Diablo in some order. And then maybe Final Fantasy pushing for that fourth spot. Which is pretty good. It's pretty good, John. But do you think uh you think you think Hogwarts will remain number one? No. No, because I mean, what was it? I mean, like I said, Diablo sold six hundred and sixty six million in three days, which is like, well, it made that much. I mean, it, yeah. And are there different ways of looking at that? How that revenue's counted? Yeah, but if you, I think if you say, I mean, Lord, even if 
if everyone paid if that was just people buying the hundred dollar version that's what I mean that alone if every if that was only people buying the hundred dollar version John that's 6.6 .6 million copies right there and I guarantee you that's not what that is you know um so some tells me that they uh they're gonna do just fine <laughs> oh for sure just fine <laughs> yeah. um I'm I'm interested to see where Tears because what Tears and Tears is or Breath of the Wild wasn't the highest selling by far of the Switch exclusives, but it's oh, easily no, the but... it's easily the best selling Zelda game ever, right? Like thirty million. Oh yeah, I don't think not even close. close. Yeah, so Ocarina, I think Ocarina came in at nine million, and that's the second best selling Zelda game. Yeah, so I mean, I I definitely would expect it to hit. 20 million by i would i mean i would think by the end of this year that wouldn't shock me yeah for to to say that it mm. would make sense you know two things dichotomy <laughs> uh maybe it's just all mirage though john oh yeah <laughs> i understand why you did it uh-huh it was there Fans of old school Assassin's Creed can rest easy as the Mirage as Assassin's Creed Mirage's map won't be anywhere near the size of Valhalla. Instead, the game world is expected to be the size of Unity's Paris. Hey, pissball. According to <laughs> Easy Allies, Michael uh, Huber, Huber, uh, they compared it uh, specifically to Constant Ah Constantinople, or I don't know whatever that city is now called uh, in Assassin's Creed revelations in Paris in Assassin's Creed unity. The series went to a more RPG open world style game with 2017's origins. John, does that make you feel good? Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I suspect that this, there's still more of the Odyssey type games, the Valhalla type games coming, but this is, this is a good opportunity. Like their financial troubles. If you wanted them to happen, which you don't. Um, came at about the right time. I really think, I, I really think this, this game is going to hit. I think it's going to be a perfect palate cleanser for Assassin's Creed fans mm -hmm. who love the open world scene, but are, but certainly don't mind going back to the roots. And for people out there who are fans of the series who have been clamoring for the for the series to go back to its roots. Um mm. but I think Ubisoft I, I, I didn't I didn't necessarily feel this way a few months ago, but I think Ubisoft is putting themselves in the position, the right position to make some really impressive comebacks with you know, with with Avatar around the corner. Um I think mm. I think in December, this coming out this fall. And that star that star wars weren't hitting in 2024 so i think this is going to be the start where people are gonna i really feel that this is the moment when upon release in october where people are going to go this is where ubisoft's sort of self-corrected as it has a history of 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 doing at least with certain series but yeah in this case they need to do it with with the company as a whole but i'm really I, i'm i'm just 
I'm really, really excited about this game. I really am. I want to see what the original Assassin's Creed would look like in 2023. And I think that's, I think that's technically what this is. I'm so. just more so I'm excited for it, but uh, I'm more so dreading it because that's the start of like the most, what's quickly becoming the most hellacious week I've seen in quite, in quite a few years. I would say, you know what? Uh, you know what? I I screwed up. You know what I didn't do? Did you not put the direct in here? I didn't. Oh well, yeah. So we could just go ahead and pivot that in here because uh, the it starts. I think the twelfth is is Mirage, and I think like maybe right now the day after that is Lords of the Fallen, and then on the seventeenth, right now we know we have Alan Wake two, and super mario uh wonder bros wonder which looks amazing and the rumor is it's not confirmed yet but from a leak it looks like also that day is gonna be that um that that new sonic game that looks also like it should be a uh a new super mario bros type inspired game right and then three days after that we get spider-man 2 so Jeez. good luck, John. Good luck. Well, I'll, I'll I'll probably skip Lords of the Fallen, even though I I hear some pretty some pretty hype buzz around that game. And I forgot Alan. But, did I say Alan Wake two? You did. Okay. Yeah. I'll skip Alan Wake two. Mm, you know, Wonder surprised me um, when you mentioned it because I was like, you know, I know I know. Harking back to the old school days, you were you know big fan of Super Mario Brothers three, but. I always thought you held out for the 3D Mario games. That's really where you saw your magic. And this one, yeah, you know, it's like, I, I didn't realize you were going to be hype on something like this. I never would have guessed it. John, you can be an elephant. Mario's an elephant. That's all I needed right there. Okay. You have me an elephant. You know, roll tide. Okay. You know, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, you know, um, it was interesting. I mean, I guess we can talk about that direct a little bit. Uh, references. I have to say this, John. I don't know how you felt. I think it's like the best Nintendo Direct they've had in a while. Um, like that really felt like it gave a lot of stuff to see. Like, cause you know, like the one criticism we can give Sony right now is that of these three, we really don't know what's coming after Spider Man or whatever. And it felt like for a little bit we knew. We Why knew, would they tell you? <laughs> yeah, like we knew. We knew Pikmin. they don't have to tell you. We knew like Pikmin was coming in July, but after that with Nintendo, it was like a lot of like, what the hell are they doing? Because it, I think we can all agree. It feels like the really big things. Like I'm almost, I'm convinced myself. Uh, I do think John, that Metroid prime four is real. And you know what I think it is. I think it's going to be either launch or first fall for whatever the switch sequel is called. That comes out probably at some point next year. I figure whatever 3d mario game they're working on is coming out with the switch to you know next year and and probably the same with mario kart and a lot of other things they're huge properties and it was like what are they gonna do in the meantime to you know kind of guess through and i was like i give them credit like you could put a new super mario bros game on on the switch and it will work perfectly fine and you can come back and bring something classic like super mario rpg and it's a really nice get for for fans of that franchise, right? Nice callback to everything, and it works, you know. So, and I think they they had something else too. I'm forgetting right now, but um, you know, like I 
I, I think this is a good stopgap is what I'm saying till they're ready to reveal their hand um, for the next, you know, the next thing, so to speak. Well, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think their launch titles for Switch 2, which basically, honestly, that's what they should just freaking call it is the Switch 2. Probably. Um, or the Super Switch. Um, you know, it, it is, is Metroid prime four and super Mario odyssey two or whatever odyssey two, super Mario sunshine two for the love of God, <laughs> that would be great. But, um, yeah, this, you know, by twofold, this was a good direct in the fact that if you were a Mario fan and we can just kind of, I just kind of want to gloss over what they did. Um, I don't really care about the, you know, all the different little side piece stuff that they, they, one of the, the big surprise for me, the one I'm really excited about is a game, um, old friend of the show, Casey used to tell me about his favorite, one of his favorite RPGs of all time is Super Mario RPG. That Mm. game is always a game I've meant to go play, never did. And I think there's a version of it on the snes mini you might be right i think i I think that's where that that so i have a copy of it and i've it's always kind of been on my bucket list to go back and play it and this thing coming out which i think it's coming out december Mm. it's, it's slated for this year looks awesome um i am one super mario brothers wonder looks looks really good they they've gotten a lot of flack over the years because the joke is it's new super mario brothers 20 you know that like they've done these things too many times but in reality they put one on the wii they put one on the wii u and they put one on the ds and the 3ds so technically four of them but those things have not gotten the the criticals the critical financial success yes all day long but the critical success just hasn't been there but super mario brothers wonder looks like the next iteration after super mario world hold on we got a wretched dog Uh oh development things happen sometimes i think they barfed just so that's just to make me let them outside (laughs) (laughs) but uh but i mean just it's not it, it, you almost see a semblance of new super mario brothers but you could tell that this art style to me looks like a hybrid between yoshi's story and super mario brothers uh so i'm really excited to play this game this one was this one was nice um pikmin 4 looks great and they're they're pretty much giving you the entire pikmin collection on the switch by the time the year's out um, yeah but but yeah, this one this one was a great direct for Mario for true Mario fans and a great representation of what of how they're going to keep their sales kind of afloat yeah. until it's time to bring out the new hardware. So, so I, I really I really think it was a good one. John, I think we call it the Super Switch Entertainment System and I start calling it SWES. Stop the oh god, I would <laughs> I would stab you in the face. The old SWES. I would uh, going forward doing the podcast. I would do the podcast with you at your house, <laughs> holding a knife, <laughs> going, "Say it, say it." I dare you. Say yeah, it. Metro Prime on the Swiss is pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> really like this Swiss. <laughs> the Swiss. 
It's a work. Yeah. Was, was there anything about? Was there anything else about that direct that you uh, particularly? I didn't watch about? it. I didn't watch it live more, so just read it, and I was like, oh, mm. and then watch trailers. And I was like, okay, cool. That's nice. We, we didn't get much gameplay uh, footage, but the princess that Princess Peach game looks pretty cool look forward to seeing more about that, that was the uh the one i forgot the yeah. mario one yeah they're putting luigi's mansion 2 on the system which yeah. is which is which is really really awesome i mean anybody i mean everybody who loves who has a switch i really think luigi's mansion 3 is a must play i mean that i mean that that's a that's a better series than people tend to give it credit so i was just glad that wasn't another line of um of games that are RPG slash farming and then slash dating uh, inspired games. <laughs> you know, like they had that 10 of them in that one direct a couple months ago. <laughs> Coming this fall, Super Mario dating sim. Yeah. Farm and find your way to love. <laughs> uh, it's a working strategy, John. Well, speaking of that, don't expect Sony to put new releases on the PS Plus platform under any tier. Because, you know, Chris, it has those three tiers. Um, don't expect them to do that anytime soon. According to leadership at Sony, they have no plans to copy the Game Pass approach when it comes to first party. Quote, we're happy with our strategy. Putting games in a bit later in life cycle has meant that we can reach more customers 12, 18, 24 months after they have released. We're seeing customers still get excited about those games and jumping in. For us... That's working. Occasionally, there will be an opportunity to invest in a day and date uh, like Stray, and we you know that game that John hated so much, and uh, we will jump on those when they come in. So yeah, I, I, I at least for now, and I don't ever see for the in, in any sense in the future that they will have to ever ever release their games um, day one the way uh, the way Xbox does. It's not, um, <laughs> and, you know, I worry about having, I, I, I'm kind of relieved. I don't know how you feel about this, Chris, but I'm kind of relieved that we now, that we live in a world, at least at the at the moment, in where the Xbox's Game Pass strategy has not been a strategy that was successful enough, caveat here, to force on other competitors. I just don't you know think I mean? anyone has the, the size to you know to take that kind of risk right yeah i know i'm I'm, but i I always i still believe Mm -hmm. that that game pass leaves money on the table and i'm not convinced i'm not convinced that game pass is profitable in a in a in a sense that makes investors necessarily happy about it i don't know um uh, there's such i would love to see it's the weird sheets it's weird for microsoft because you can't be like well investors aren't having like investors probably look at like this much of like microsoft investors this much of xbox when they're looking at microsoft you know I, going, got it. I understand yeah that. like that's the weird part of it um i'm not shocked because i think one you know like they're the thing that is like so strange to me is like as much flack as xbox gets with like how many things they put out right like in my in this generation for instance i feel like both nintendo and microsoft generally put out more first party titles on a reg than sony does you know like sony has one game this year 
they're putting out if you don't take MLB the show I'll give them you know that's a annual thing where it's always out right but like they have Spider-Man that's that's their one thing and I get last year they put out God of War and they put out Horizon they put out Turismo but like the year before that they didn't have much you know like they kind of they kind of ebb and flow and they're fine with that and I think that's why they're whereas like you know obviously Microsoft has this ambitious goal of having one per quarter we'll see if they can do it um and then like nintendo i would say yeah nintendo usually has one really big title a year so this year it was zelda right and then they'll have a bunch of like kind of smaller things that i don't think are highly investment but like when you go like yeah nintendo's putting out zelda pikmin mario wonder super mario rpg the princess peach game right like you know they they have a nice stable of of exclusives there where i guess they could maybe do it if they want to they had the money but I just don't think that's their thing. Like they, they need to have like, to their point they need because of that, like, yeah, Spider-Man, they need to be able to say, cause I don't think Spider-Man two is going to sell as much as Spider-Man. And I don't say that because I think it's going to be a bad game. I think it's just because it's a only PS five game and you only have 40 million consoles versus the 90 million you had when the first one came out. <laughs> so it's just like a, a reality thing, but I think it's still going to sell probably like 10 million right out the gate, you know, in its first couple of months and um you know they need that to come in there because you know then they can drop on sale and then finally when they feel like they've gotten everything then to say hey to our subscribers here's your benefit right like 18 months later here's your game if you haven't been able to check it out yeah i i, I definitely don't think you're off base here and, and i'm and i'm gonna and i'm actually happy about this i'm actually gonna throw xbox a bone here. One of the things you can say about Xbox is I'm in the mood for an RPG. Oh, Xbox has you. Yeah. I'm in the mood for a shooter. Xbox has you. I'm in the mood for a turn-based tactical RPG. Xbox has you. And I think, I think if you're, if you're looking for a guy who's, who, who wants a whole pack, who's like looking for the whole package, Xbox has tons of variety to offer you. Yeah. I can't say that PlayStation has that ability. Do you want Spider-Man? We've got you. You want, do you want the, the dad sim? We got you, <laughs> you know, it's let's a, be honest. Well, because one of the things that Sony's doing from a marketing strategy, and it's working for now, sure. but I think in the next couple of years, you're going to see some retaliation um, on this because it's like, it's like, what are the, what are the titles really that have really been emphasized over the past two and a half years. That's the last of us part two and God of war Ragnarok. And technically they're very similar in how they're designed. I mean, it's like that slow pace, heavy story, heavy cinematic when basically I'd rather just go play something that's heavy in gameplay that emphasizes gameplay. And one of the things Sony is doing that I think is probably not a very calculated, a good, a very well calculated move. Is they really seem to be f- blinded by their heavy narrative cinematic experiences? They really like that Naughty Dog experience. Naughty Dog is like so unique to me. I think, it, like honestly, I don't put Santa Monica with them, right? Like to me, San, like they're kind of the unique one to me of the group, right? Because like mm-hmm. to me, the other core ones, it's like you have Ghost of Shima, you have horizon you have spider-man you have god of war where are they all they're open world action games that you know they're not 
necessarily to the level of an RPG. Art God of War is maybe the closest one pushing that, right? But they're fun, mm-hmm. and that and like it's been clear. One of the things that's really wanted for them is that they have studios that can make those games really well, and they seem to be tuning into what their fan base wants, right? So to your point, right now it's a really good thing. Um, but the other side of it is we can also see why they are making certain moves where they're like, we need to have you know games of service. We need to have one. We need we understand we need to have one. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, if, I if Xbox, if Xbox's library starts, if Xbox starts to hit with the with the investment, it, it, like if they can pull off that promise of what was it, ga- a game a quarter? Is that what it was? That's that's something what they're like, aiming like for. And right now, they have four games announced for next year. So right, yeah, and 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 the thing is, none of them are the same. No. Yeah. None of them, none of them are the, of the same in, 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 in their approach to gameplay and their approach to story and their approach to mechanics. It's all different. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's glaring. People aren't paying attention, but to me, it's glaring. Sony doesn't have a shooter. They don't. Sure. Where is it? Yeah. They've tried, uh, you know, kill zone turned out to just never be something that paid off for, for them. Mm. Um, was it, what was the other one? Resistance was something that never really paid off for them. Mm. Yeah, they, they need a that they need a shooter that's very lacking i think i think my point is sony at some point in the next couple of years i get, I think is going to be caught with its pants down yeah i'm guessing the best thing that will be for xbox is if they actually do get this going mm-hmm. they do have a shot if sony is just the open world action game place xbox could technically maybe become <clears throat> the place where every year you get a nice western rpg right so this year it's it's Starfield, right? And then let's Sorry. say Garcia's like Foam Stars is a shooter. I stand corrected. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, this year you get Starfield, right? And then like if you think about it, next year, it would be Avowed. And then let's say 2025 is Fable, and 2026 is that uh, Clockwork Revolution, which is supposed to be an RPG. You know, they are saying like, hey, yeah, it might look Bioshocky. Have thirty frames. We're yeah, right. Yeah, but um, all that you know, I definitely would say maybe that's going to be their identity. But to your point, the good thing is hopefully they just keep also filling it with a variety of types of things. For uh, Draven's question is definitely a Chris question. Do you think SOCOM could go up against COD if it was like the OG SOCOM? No, I don't. I love mm-hmm. SOCOM, but tactical shooters. <clears throat> will never stand up. I mean, they're just never going to stand up to the will of Call of Duty. It's the so accessible. It's so accessible. I thought I gave this one to you, John, but I screwed up. Do you think the Do you think Xbox could stand up to the will of the FTC? <laughs> right. A federal court recently issued a temporary restraining order requested by the FTC that temporarily blocks Microsoft's sixty-eight point seven billion deal to acquire Activision Blizzard for the time being. This will allow the FTC to make a legal case against Microsoft before the deal can be completed. So now it's crunch time with a possible outcome to the ongoing trial this week. What comes with that details coming out on both sides due to this little inconvenient uh, convenient thing we call discovery. Here are some tidbits. Jim Ryan has stated that Sony would not be sharing plans for the PlayStation 6 with Activision Blizzard if the deal goes through, saying Sony, quote, simply could not run the risk of a company that was owned by a direct competitor having access to that information. 
Microsoft has admitted it has lost the console wars. Quote, Xbox has consistently ranked third. In 2021, Xbox had a 16% share, while Nintendo and PlayStation had shares of redacted and redacted, respectively. I feel like it's big numbers in that. (laughs) Uh, Jim Ryan has claimed in emails that he was, quote, pretty sure we will continue to see Call of Duty on PlayStation for many years to come. Phil Spencer confirmed that Starfield was potentially going to bypass Xbox before the talks of ZeniMax acquisition with Microsoft with Microsoft started happening, uh, and it had to secure content to quote remain viable in the business. Xbox Studios head in an email stated that Microsoft could quote spend Sony out of business. I believe that's uh, good old Matt Booty who said that quote. Uh, John. The fireworks, they're firing. There was even more today. I think the FTC tried to argue today that Call of Duty is not an essential product. I don't understand that line, but uh, how do you feel about this trial? Because apparently, I don't I don't know if you knew this. I didn't know this. Apparently, this is the real deal. Like I thought it would be the August one, right? But whenever they do these ones in federal court, usually whoever wins this is where it ends up getting decided. <laughs> so... <laughs> well i didn't i didn't read my, much into it but uh there was a, a snarky headline where today xbox is explaining to the ftc how mergers work or something like that or i don't i don't know um look i'm not i'm not on either side here as far as the merits that people are arguing um i never i i, I think it's i think it's an erroneous comment when when microsoft tries to make a claim that this merger is great for competition. I, I I don't know where they get that idea. I don't know why they can argue it with a straight face. That's not mm. to say that I, you know, I'm necessarily against the deal, but um, one of the things that stands out to me is, is um, this is interesting to me because it honestly, it didn't occur to me that, you know, having Activision or Blizzard develop a game for mm. Sony requires them to share proprietary information sure with a company owned by a console manufacturer um a competitor and i'm sure that that's not you know if you if you think about it i'm i'm you know the partnership with gosh i don't know if i can think of another example but he, he, it's an it's a it's a point that made me raise an eyebrow because it's like dang that's an actually a good that's an interesting point mhm I'm trying to think in my brain where the where it's happened before. Well, they and it kinda, wasn't an issue. They referenced but, it like with Minecraft. Like Minecraft didn't get a PS hasn't gotten a PS5 update yet because they, they won't share the yeah. the tech. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you know now that they have to put MLB the show on Xbox, right? Like MLB's required that of Sony. Microsoft probably won't send them a development kit for whenever, you know, the next Xbox is out there. So, you know, that will probably be a thing. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if like we get to, to the next gens and maybe like Microsoft and all of them just say, look, because we don't want to look bad here. We're just going to skip doing the next gen until next fall, because then they'll probably be able to get a development kit, right? Like after the consoles that launch and everyone feels secure and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not a lawyer. 
lot of people who are lawyers who have been looking in on this and kind of commenting have been saying that the FTC really has not done a great job so far. Of course, there's still two more days after. And I mean, like, regardless how you feel, it's more of like, can you win? And they have a high hill to climb and to prove, you know, what they charge here. Um, and it, I think like one of the ones I found the most interesting, like, you know, they've made the huge caveat on cloud gaming, right? And I think it was Sarah Bond who said it's one, it's probably like one of the most very underutilized features of the Xbox. And the thing that was interesting to me, she said the, the main reason people even use the cloud is to start playing a game while it's still downloading. Like that's what it's being used for, you know? And I don't know. It just, there are parts of this, like it's almost equivalent. Like you remember like all those uh, times, like you would see Mark Zuckerberg or, or some big tech company person go into Congress and you would listen to these like 75 year old men who are most of them lawyers or bankers ask questions. And you just quickly realize these people have no idea how this technology and culture works or operates right like you could just hear it in their questions that's almost how it's felt at times like some of the quotes that have come out of this so far um but do you have like, any do you have an example uh i mean again just like basic things like where they're trying to argue that nintendo is not a major person in this market has been a consistent theme they're really trying to say that xbox and playstation are in their own world and i'm like sure they might be direct i would, competitors. I would agree with that part like they're they're direct comparison but to like act like nintendo is not a major component right to the console market is just dumb and foolish i was like literally right now what's the top grossing movie of the year in this country avatar no <laughs> super mario <laughs> brothers you know, yeah the movie mm-hmm. uh so you know i i just those kind of things have been foolish um having the quote come out <laughs> Trayvon, you know Trayvon's from like cocaine bear <laughs> having the quote from jim ryan coming out and like you know that just sing out there of him saying like yeah this isn't gonna be a problem and like you know saying the reason they're pushing this is because sony's really concerned about it and i'm like ugh. I don't know. I I just don't think they've, from what it sounds like, at least, like I said, Hogue and others, it sounds like they just have not done a good job of presenting their arguments. Like, they should have known that they were going to have these problems was kind of like what Richard Hogue was saying. And it's like, it amazed him that having this long to prepare, they did not have better answers to those problems that they were going to be facing in this trial. Um, So... I, don't I mean, know. let's 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 give it the five percent chance that the FTC sure. wins this. Uh, it is. Does, I will say, does does Microsoft walk away from the deal? I think probably. I mean, just mm-hmm. because, I guess you could argue they could go to the FTC court and just say, "Shoot, let's see where it goes." Right. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like, I will say the one thing that I I do keep in my mind is that. This is a court in San Francisco, and this is a uh, Joe Biden appointed judge. So we're not talking like, you know, the person here is a guaranteed like hardcore. I'm going to do, you know, 
the minimal amount of legislating on you or like burden of proof, right? You could have someone who's very passionate about these things judging this. I don't know much about the judge, right? I just knew mm -hmm. that. Um, so could something happen? Sure, it could. But I don't know. Like the, the past history for this for the FTC has never been good. And I think it's just because you just have a hard time proving the idea of a, of a monopoly in a lot of these things. It seems like more, it, the more I've seen of this, I don't know about you, it feels more like they saw the word 68 billion in Microsoft and they didn't actually think about like the industry it was in, right? They just saw, we cannot allow one of the big three tech companies to just go out there and make a $68 billion purchase. That's what it's more. Cause there are other industries I would be like, yeah, you totally have a more legitimate shot winning that. Well, when all this is said and done, what are we going to talk about? A smooth transition? What, for Microsoft? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of smooth transitions, Nintendo is planning to give players, mm. speaking of the SWES, <laughs> was it the SWES? Is that what you mm. called it? The Switch The SWES. Yes, the, the SWES. Uh, Nintendo is planning to give players a smooth transition regarding its next generation by utilizing Nintendo accounts. In an idea that's basically 15 years old. Uh, according to Nintendo president Shintaro Furukawa, Furukawa, <laughs> like Chris there, quote, as for the transition from Nintendo Switch to the next generation machine, we want to do as much as possible in order to smoothly transition our customers while utilizing the Nintendo account. Ninten uh, that's in quote. Nintendo certainly isn't synonymous with smooth transitions. That's one thing. If anybody who loves Nintendo as much as I do has to be intellectually honest and say transitioning to another system is not a smooth thing to do with Nintendo. But I think, uh, Chris, um, what Nintendo has no choice in doing, they've released all these all these remasters and all these things, all these different. They, they've done a lot of things content wise with the switch that they'd never done previously, or at least at least at this cadence. You've got to give everybody the opportunity to, to continue to play their previous Switch titles. Otherwise, there's going to be a flipping riot. If there's, uh -huh. any, if, if there's ever been a, 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 a demand for not losing over 100 million, 115 million install base, it's the Switch. What say you, my friend? I mean, there's been one company that I've seen more historically than the others. I feel like be really good at finding a way they might not do it. You're right. They probably won't do it on day one, but man, if they can find a way, if they can find a way to repackage and resell and make another dollar, it's been their MO. It's what they do. Um, but you're probably right about, I definitely don't think like if they do the, if the Swess comes out, I'm officially, we're just running with that now. I'm going to get a shirt made, Swess. Um, it says Swess owner. <laughs> um, uh, you know, when the Swess comes out, like, yeah, I think it would be, there probably will be some people, you're right, that would be completely upset if um, they can't carry their Tears of the, uh, Tears of the Kingdom save over, right? And uh, keep playing. I guess the question is going to be, are they still using cartridges that they've been using here or are they going to something else? And if that is the case, are they going to be like, sure, you can carry over the game content. 
But unfortunately, you're going to need to buy the SWES version of the game um, because, you know, it's just not compatible, these cartridges. That would be my only worry. But if it's a digital thing, I mean, yeah, if they're if they're with the times, I would hope they would do that. You know, that's what they should do. There's no reason unless you're improving the game somehow. But I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I just I don't want, you know, at the last at the in the ninth inning of the switch's life cycle we get wind waker hd you know i don't mind buying it again had it for wii u i don't mind i don't mind buying it again for the switch i don't mm. i've pretty much settled on me doing that but if in the in, in the end of the life cycle we get that game and then i can't play it on switch too so yeah, that's that's not good that's not good for me true it's going to make me split with Nintendo. Speaking of splits, Electronic <laughs> Arts is going through quite a shift change. According to CEO Andrew Wilson, there will be a major realigning of studios and its leadership structure in an effort to empower our creative teams. The reorg will include splitting EA Games and EA Sports, uh, with the former being renamed EA Entertainment and the signal that EA intends to expand beyond games where possible. Quote, we're building the future of interactive entertainment on a foundation of legendary franchises and innovative new experiences, which represents massive opportunities for growth. End quote. Um, this is probably a good thing. Yeah, I don't have much of a thought on this mm. since you have a little bit more engagement with EA Sports as well as EA itself. I think you're kind of in a better position to say. Yeah whether well, this is a good thing or not. The I think the worst mistake EA made like a couple of years ago, like in some point in the PS4 Xbox One cycle was to be like everything's got to use one of our pr proprietary engines and that mainly became Frostbite engine, right, which is the Battlefield engine. Uh that's like for instance what they had to make Anthem run on even though Mass Effect and everything BioWare worked on before that was in Unreal. Uh, and you know, yeah. they had to adjust all their sports franchises and that's caused hardship because it's just an engine that isn't designed to make those games. My hope would be by splitting these, you know, hopefully they're empowering the people that they're putting at the top of those charts to say, let's do what's best for our side of the business. Because I mean, EA games is going to be the thing that you're not going to get a huge title from every year. Right. Whereas EA Sports is your moneymaker. You have two titles every single year you know are going to generate billions of dollars for you. And it's important that they be able to operate in a way that makes the most sense for them and really has decisions being driven by the people who know what's probably the best thing for their franchises than, rather than like maybe some hire a person it's just like yeah we can save this much if we just do this because you know it's all of ours um so you know we'll see well i'm ready to to allow that comment to stand on its own because i don't i don't really have much to to contribute to this particular one i just i don't know i don't know you right 
Yeah, I got to tell you, Chris, I really enjoyed Mario plus Rabbids um, Sparks of Hope. I didn't finish it. I didn't even come close. I was really enjoying it, though. But uh, Ubisoft has got some things to say about it. Ubisoft regrets releasing Sparks of Hope on the Nintendo Switch instead of waiting for its successor, which is what, Chris? Swiss. I can't believe I'm letting him say this. Or actually, hold on. According- Swiss. <laughs> anyway, according to Ubisoft CEO Eve Guimot, uh, I never know if I'm saying his name right. Quote, we had already released a Mario plus Rabbids game on Switch. So by doing another, we had two similar experiences on one machine. On Nintendo, games like this never die. There are 25 Mario games on Switch. Nintendo has advised that it's better to do one iteration on each machine. Typically, that is their MO. Um, There are exceptions, obviously. We were a bit too early. We should have waited for the next console, end quote. Sparks of Hope released in October to high praise, but apparently lower sales. So I do have some thoughts about this, Chris, but I wanted to throw it over to you first. Um. I think that they, uh, the one thing they're probably right. It, it could have helped to wait, but honestly, this is what I would say. The, the mistake again you made was you released your game in the middle of the fall. That's not a type of game. I mean, midnight suns had to learn this lesson too. And they had X-Men, uh, and Marvel and all that, right? Like these games can sell well, but like you really do have to think about release windows. Um, I think it would have been, better to be out of something like October. I'm not saying you should have put in like the February to March lineup there. Right. But if you'd been able to get that game out, say in August or July of last year, um, you would have been in a lot better position than when you ended up, uh, I think in the end, but you're right. John is a great game. Yeah. I think, I think they had, I agree with you that, that one of the things that they, that they miscalculated was the release date. But I think that was also based on a little bit more ambition and a little bit of an educated, I think they made an educated guess that was wrong. I think they were banking on the fact that they were releasing a Mario title in the fall. And I thought that would get them traction because one thing Midnight Suns doesn't have is it doesn't have Mario in the game. And when you have Mario in the game, you are typically going to get some sales out of this. Um, But I think, you know, Mario uh, Kingdom Battle released originally um, in August. And I think that would have been the right move. It probably wasn't done. It probably wasn't ready in August, but they could have pushed it to February or March. I would have been fine with that. But, you know, it it is true. One of the things that was kind of a secret to the first one's success, and honestly, Kingdom Battle was successful. It didn't sell gangbusters. I think it cracked two or three million, maybe. Or solid for it. It's very solid, very solid, particularly for the type of game this is. I think you've got a lot of adopters into this genre because of Mario's star power. But at the time, the Switch, we were still having conversations about whether the Switch was a long-lasting success or something that popped early and was just going to drop off, and it needed content. This was one of those content fillers and towards the end of its life cycle, I think one, I, th- I think, I think he's correct on two on, on, on the one point where, yeah, at this point in the switch's life cycle, you've got 25 to 30 Mario titles. 
Mm-hmm. What's another Mario title? This could have waited number one for the Swiss. <laughs> you got me saying it. Uh, and I think it would have done really well on the Swiss. But in addition to it needing to wait, it had a lot of technical issues. It Sometimes it really dragged performance-wise. And I think it could have benefited what to what assuming would be a more powerful handheld device. True. So that's, that's my thoughts on it. But, you know, the, the one thing that benefits these titles is on the switch and when it's a Mario title, there's a longevity to their sales Mm. and kingdom battle did benefit from a longevity of sales. It continued to do well. So I don't, you know, with the DLC coming out, I think some DLC hit yesterday or today. I forget which I forget when, um, I think this game still has an opportunity to have a long-term success. Um, assuming that there's a smooth transition to the next console. <laughs> Speaking of smooth transitions, it's probably a good thing if we wrap this up, John. We should, just to be safe. John would say never. Who cares? I know. outburst is clarissa's favorite part of the show oh good ain't that right baby she's just like why <laughs> why why do you do that <laughs> why do you, yeah she's like why do you do that <laughs> it's like we have to if you want to write your thoughts prayers opinions complaints whatever we don't care what they are we'll read them you, you can write them yeah <laughs> adventures above submersibles um oh <laughs> You can write them to weeklygameschat at gmail.com. That's weeklygameschat at gmail.com, just like Alejandro did. Uh, Gentlemen, in last week's episode, John asked Chris to authoritatively answer the question, what is the greatest game of all time? Which he did not answer. (laughs) Chris Hammond hawed like a politician, so John gave him a week to come up with an answer. Well, Chris, it's time to plant the flag. What's the goat? Follow-up question for John. What's the greatest game of all time, not counting Gotham Knights? <laughs> Again, Sean can be the ref. Well, you know, Sean, you're not here. Um, awardingly yours, Alejandro. Uh, sent from an underwater metropolis of Rapture, home to the goat. Ooh, he thinks it's Bioshock. I just always hmm. have, I have a problem with these questions. You know me, John. Like, Because you're too analytical. Like, yeah, it's like, it's not I think. That- I think Chris... I think Chris could come to a determination on the greatest game of all time if he had, if we gave him, how about uh, this, Alejandro? Let's give him one more, more week and say he could use pivot tables. You have to give me, like, what's the set of judgment that I have to use, right? Is it yours? My, That's is it. it. No, yours. is it my favorite desert, okay. game? The Do desert, I think it's... No, the desert island scenario. Oh, okay. Um, uh, well, and remember, Chris, what I said last week or a couple weeks ago, I said, you are the emperor of the world 
and you tell others by decree yeah this is the greatest game ever made you don't have to argue with anybody you don't have to make your case you are the emperor of the world and you have decreed it it's just like when you put it that way now like you I was with you. <laughs> i was with you when you just said well what's my desert island game i can do that um uh, but when you say like you're the emperor because like you know again like my mind works like we would sit there me and john love movies you know what is usually considered the greatest movie ever made john on list citizen kane correct is citizen kane the movie that either of us wants to take to a desert island for the rest of our life well the fact that i don't want to live on a desert island for the rest of my life and it would urge me to kill myself quickly yes uh-huh. oh. i'll do that <laughs> it's a very depressing See, there's but- caveats but like, like you no, know, Chris, I understand. Yeah, I understand though why Citizen Kane is considered the great. Like, I see their points, but I'm like, yes, it's way advanced for anything that was coming out when it was released. It's Alejandro, I don't know why but, he just won't say Witcher Three. I really don't. I would know. I think if I wanted to go and be fair with it, if I'm looking at everything, if you put my feet to the fire and I said I have to declare, it's probably Mass Effect Two. Mass Effect Two is the one I have played the most, and I I have the most fun with. So, and you would be comfortable not only on the desert island playing that, mm-hmm. you would be comfortable decreeing that to the masses who are just I would squalor, de- who are just squalor in your I eyes. Would, you don't care what their feedback is. I would just decree that they have to go with Commander Shepard to the ends of the universe to save everything. And while they do it, sleep with every person they possibly can. That's an important that was thing. easy. Yeah. That was easy. But yes. as far as him turning the question on to me, gosh, uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> uh-huh. No, John, <laughs> say it. Because you've already said that the greatest game is now either Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom. So, you know. Well, I, I, to me, by the, on a technicality, it's still Breath of the Wild. Oh. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Uh, you want to read the next one from? I just actually selected it, but that's okay. Matt, we got Matt. All right, Matt. this is coming from Matt. Hi again. Hey, glad last email stimulated a bit of a discussion. Oh, I could, I could appreciate the fact that you guys have to mow through games to be able to offer fair reviews, and it shows integrity on your parts. Personally, hmm. I enjoy the reviews, but it's only a small part of your show. You could easily talk a bit more about interesting news or dig deeper into the games you are spending more time on. It's really more about the chatting and banter for me. Friends with differing opinions going at it. Subject is almost irrelevant. Oh, I understand you all have lives and jobs. It would be way worse for us, the listeners, to get you that you get burned out on this and stop recording versus maybe only do a game review as the main subject every couple of weeks. I do value your opinions, and it often helps me decide what game to try next. I am I am playing Diablo 4, like I said. I would, and I enjoy it so far. Very repetitive, but it's kind of mindless, so it's good to chill and not have to think too hard. The story is kind of irrelevant, so f- th- th- uh, though so far. It's a game about grinding and checkboxing stuff, as far as I can tell. So that, so far, at level 47. Mm. Last thing, I think it's time to stop giving... S- S-words. <laughs> 
cuss word to Chris about talking so much of Witcher 3 because at this point I feel like John mentions Dishonored every episode. Right. Uh, keep up keep up the good work. It's appreciated, Matt. Thanks for the thanks for the write in, Matt. Appreciate See, you. If you were being honest, John, if you were a king of the day, you would decree to the masses that they have to accept that Dishonored is the greatest video game. <laughs> But which but which one though? That's the problem. We'll just it's say together. Both of them. Combine. Yeah. I, I it's messy with my head because I legitimately think Dishonored mm-hmm. is better than Bioshock at this point yeah. to me. But at the same time, one of the things about Dishonored, which I'm speaking of, mm. that world, the world of Dishonored, the design, the I want to live there. Sure. I, I want to, I want to live there under good conditions, not during the rat plague. I want to live there when everything's, when everything's hunky dory. I want to live. Because it just, it's just such a, such an amazing looking world. I just, I just, I just stop and look around uh, I, when I'm, when I'm playing in that world. I don't think I want to live in Disarmed one's world, but uh, wherever that Island they go to in Disarmed two is, yeah, I'd be down with Sir, that. That looks Karn, Karnaka. Yeah. That Sir, looks uh, very pretty. Circonos. Yeah. Basically, is. though, that, that is everything's so bright. All I heard from him in that email is that he wants us to talk less about games and me and you just argue with each other, which we could easily do. We could find so many ways to make that what the show is, John, if we want to. Couldn't we? Yeah, yeah, we could. We could. <laughs> and people would stop listening. Yeah, but, probably. But Matt, to just to, since you brought it up, we are planning to discuss a few things to maybe you know, change up a couple of things, not drastically, I don't think, but um, to your point, we're a sports you know, podcast now <laughs> to your point. We're going to be talking about uh, sports. Yeah. 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 I won't say much, but we'll yeah. be talking about sports. We're going to see, we'll see. You'll naturally flow. Stay tuned. Yeah. You never know. Uh, finally, we have an email from Thorin who writes in, Dear WGC crew, before we begin this email, I need you to re-explain the Thanos joke because uh, this email will make no sense to new listeners as you have not explained the joke in at least 10 weeks. So the threat has been, I had, we had a couple of weeks where we were not getting emails and I started to threaten to everyone that I was going to Thanos episodes of the show and they would be episodes they loved because they were not writing in. And the reason I made that reference is even going further back. The joke is we used to have, if you look at it, this is episode 408, right? It's episode 408 that we're on today. Well, why are all 408 episodes not available? The joke is, the running joke is, when we transitioned to a different provider, we lost episodes in the process of that because we thought they would be backed up. They weren't. The joke is, I actually just Thanos them, snapped them out of existence because, you know, I was embarrassed by them and did not want them to exist anymore because it was so terrible. Um, but that's the running joke of this. So if you do not write in emails on a consistent basis, you will get a Thanos episode eventually. I don't know when. Uh, have Going back to Thorne's email, though. Have you all considered uploading every non-Thanos episode to the Internet Archive to preserve the show forever in case Spotify... Apple podcast and such go down forever. Uh, also, is it possible that some longtime listener has some or all of the Thanos episodes downloaded still and could bring them back uh, for all of us 
could you make a special little like lost episodes as a reference to Super Mario Brothers to the lost levels? I just wanted to know because recently I started to care a lot more about preserving media or future for future generations. And I believe this show truly is something special. Huh. From Thorn, and this was sent from my iPhone's iPhone. Um, I can give you the technical thing. There are a couple of episodes out there that I know of. Um from the main Thanos snap they are on YouTube because I used to, there was a period where we were trying out the idea. Some people had requested that we upload the, the audio just to YouTube, right. And put like the image on there and you could sit there and you know, you wouldn't see video or anything. This is before we did live streams and you would have a way to listen to the podcast on YouTube, like while you were at work or something. That was what people were looking for. Big thing is after a while it, it's kind of a pain to do. <laughs> uh, it's a lot more process and time to get that going and to get it out quickly. And honestly, we were just looking at a lot of people weren't utilizing it. It was like putting it out there for, you know, 10 downloads versus like, you know, putting it out on Apple where it's like, you know, of course, billions of people download. Um, every week we have the biggest numbers. Please sponsor us. Um, <laughs> but, um, I know there are some there you could maybe try to dig through some places like Google play and maybe find something, but honestly, no, they were hosted by, uh, I can't remember who we were using originally, but when that went down, we pretty much lost access that to everything wasn't on our current server, uh, provider. Um, so. I don't know how to get it back. I, I would love to find a way if possible. And if someone has them, please feel free to share and I will gladly upload them to our collection. Definitely would. Right, John? Correct. <laughs> John's like, I got nothing on that. Um, <laughs> Not that, my lane, dude. Not yeah. my lane. But that said, uh, of course, you can write us to Discord and also on our Twitter, the invite to the Discord server. You can find it on our Twitter page, which is twitter.com slash weekly games chat. We're not going to do that today because that's Sean's lane. We don't touch that thing unless I'm putting out a message to say we're not recording. <laughs> that's about the only time I go on there. Um, but, you know, when he comes back next week, I'm sure he'll catch us up on everything you've got in Discord or there. Uh, but that said, until next time. This has been Weekly Game Chat. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to us on podcast services available around the globe. You'll get a new episode every Wednesday for your listening. Except next Wednesday, because we're going to be off. <laughs> Besides that, if you want to see how we make this thing and do it live, as Bill O'Reilly used to say, come over to twitch.com or twitch.tv slash weekly game chat around 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Tuesday, and you can see our beautiful faces and say, those guys are hideous. Until next time, I will first wish best of luck to Sean, wherever he is tonight. Can't wait to see you again. But most importantly, I'll say first, John, game on. Game on, Chrissy Poo. Your mom's box. Thug life. Peace out, everybody!